Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. On today's episode, I sit down for a conversation with my friend, Joseph Waliniak. Joseph is one of the priests at Christ Church Denver, which is just around the corner from Bethany Lutheran. Joseph and I have actually been friends since our time in Philadelphia. We were both there at the same time. You'll hear more about our story together, but I bring Joseph on because he has a keen interest in the church fathers and those older uh, writings from the history of our faith. He'll go into the details in terms of what this means, why he loves it, why it's important, and I think you'll find it really compelling. I know I did. I have a new appreciation just through this conversation with Joe about this particular topic. As always, thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and your family, letting other people know about it. It's really been helpful and encouraging and exciting as we continue on with these summer of conversations. I've got more in the works and more planned, but I hope you enjoy this one today with my friend, Joe, Father Joseph Waliniak, as he talks about the Church Fathers. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I have another conversation with one of my friends that I'm going to record and share with all of you. I have on the line today, Father Joseph Waliniak. Uh, Joseph is the priest at Christ Church Denver, right down the street from Bethany on Colorado or on University Boulevard. Um, And Joseph and I have actually known each other long before either of us lived in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Joseph, welcome. You're on the line, right? Yes, indeed. And uh, you forgot to mention that I was the author of 12 books. <laughs> it's 12 books. Yes, um, uh, all unpublished um, books with my five-year-old daughter, but we won't sweat the details. Perfect. Yeah, I'm so sorry for, for leaving that out. It's okay. As well as your many appearances in television and movies, Yeah, I guess you didn't, you didn't read my Wikipedia page, but that's okay. Uh, tell us some other things that we should know about you, though, Joseph. Uh, I love basketball, have two kids, also married to a priest, and uh, I don't do anything fun. I just read books. That's perfect. That's why we brought you on today, because you do read lots of books and very esoteric um, uh, books that normal people aren't reading. And so I thought that you might be an interesting person to bring on and tell us a little bit about some of these uh, obscure books that you've been reading for most of your life. Uh, Before we get to that, though. We do need to tell the listeners about how we know each other. This is kind of a fun story. So as I mentioned, we've known each other. Our churches are down the street from one another. uh, And we both are working with Denver University Campus Ministries. Yes. But we have known each other since our days in Philadelphia. Do you want to tell part of this story or should I tell it? Once you start, I'll jump in. So when I was in Philadelphia, I worked at the Lutheran Seminary there. And which meant that for the first time in our married life, my wife and I were able to go church shopping, that thing that everybody looks down upon, but that everyone wants to do. So we got to go explore and find a church for our family. And we ended up at St. Paul's Episcopal Church, which was just north of where we lived and was a really cool place. And then shortly after our time, I think we had been there for about a year, when all of a sudden, who should appear on the scene? But you, Joseph. Ta-da. And so it was really cool. You were one of the priests there at St. Paul's and we kind of got to know you at least just a little bit kind of on the periphery. Uh, And then you moved to Denver to take this job out here, this call out here. And then six months later, I ended up here at Bethany. And so we connected 
um, and have been hanging out as friends ever since, getting our families together, climbing mountains, things like that, uh, just as good Denver families should do. I'd like to think that was my magnetic personality. But just to note that it did take me about six months to figure out that you are also a pastor, which tells you a lot about how perceptive I am. It's all good. It's all good. And we both share a love of basketball, so that's also definitely helped our relationship. And yeah, just uh, you're a good person to know. Glad to have you in my life and really glad to have you here on the podcast today. Because one of the things I know about you is that you love the church fathers, and that this is often the types of books that you're reading is stuff that was published hundreds of years ago by some of these ancestors of our faith. And, you know, this is long before there was an Episcopal church or a Lutheran church. And that's why we can talk about all of this is because we're kind of on the same page. These are our collective church fathers. But I just would want to hear you like, yeah, tell us why this is of interest to you. Why should we care about it? Um, go, go nuts. Hey, thank you for letting me let my uh, nerd flag fly here. Um, and I'm not sure if the comment about reading esoteric stuff was a compliment, <laughs> I, but I Googled, I Googled the word. Um, so part, part of the reason that I love the Church Fathers is exactly for the reason that you just mentioned, is that it's, it's part of our shared common tradition. It's before the, the fathers are writing before the Protestant Reformation, they're writing before even the great schism between the Eastern and Western churches in 1054. Um, so they are, are, are a part of the common tradition held by the, the universal, you could say the Catholic church. That's what the word Catholic means in the Greek is Catholicos from, with respect to the whole. Um, so that, that's one of the, the things that appeals to me about the fathers is that uh, you might have Luther, you know, I might have the uh, Anglican um, church fathers, but but we, we share these folks in common. So um, yeah, and they're just a treasure trove of wonderful wisdom and good pastoral theology. So just where in the like timeline would we, wh where would it be defined as the church fathers that you're specifically speaking about? Does this include like the apostle Paul or is that considered more a biblical character whereas the church fathers are around the writing of the Nicene Creed? Like help us kind of date and understand sort of the time period we're talking about. It's a good question. And it sort of depends on who you're asking. Okay. <laughs> um, the Eastern church, the Eastern Orthodox churches, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Antiochian Orthodox, so on and so forth. Um, they don't think that they, the patristic age has ended. Basically, if there are church leaders um, who have um, some consensus with the earlier church fathers and are writing and have gained some some significant purchase uh, among um, church churchgoers today that they can be considered a church father as well. Um, somebody that comes to mind is Theophan the, the Recluse, a Russian Orthodox monk and bishop who died in 1894 and wrote a book called The Spiritual Life and How to Be Attuned to It, a really wonderful book for those thinking about just the basics of spirituality. Um, so for the Eastern church, you know, the fathers are still speaking. For the the Western church, the Latin church, um, mm -hmm. we generally tend to think of the fathers being related to the, the patristic era from the first to the eighth century. Um, you certainly have those, those biblical figures, Paul um, and John and Peter and others that are writing some of our epistles in the New Testament, but we also have the Apostolic Fathers, Clement of Rome, Ignatius of Antioch, Polycarp, some of the Greek Fathers, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, the Cappadocian Fathers, Basil, Gregory of Nyssa, Gregory Nazianzus, um, one of my favorites, John Chrysostom. 
and the Latin fathers, folks like Tertullian, Ambrose of Milan, Augustine of Hippo, and Pope St. Gregory the Great. Um, so uh, th these are sort of pastoral leaders, often bishops or monks, abbots, that are uh, doing theology within and for the church. Again, that's part of the appeal for me. Um, and they're writing between the, the first and eighth century, generally speaking, at least for us in the West. But so help us too. That's really, it's amazing that you were just able to list off all of those individuals as well as where they're from. I, I like to think that you have their trading cards right in front of you <laughs> that you were carefully sorting while you told us all of this. Um, How did you but, know? <laughs> but, but, why, but why should we care? Uh, and, and isn't this, I mean, it strikes me as, uh, um, you know, the, the cynical side of me says like, oh, you know, it's just the church fathers. And so you just want to be like, oh, you've probably never heard of this guy, but he's really great. Uh, as opposed to citing people who are more contemporary that other folks have actually heard of. So, so what is it about their appeal besides, you kind of did mention a little bit, I guess, that it, it's, it's got this shared ancestry, but I'm sure it's, it's deeper than that for you as well. So I'd just love to hear, um, yeah, how, what, what your interest is beyond being able to reference all of these names. <laughs> Great question. I mean, You've, take something like the, the Trinity, for instance, um, that this is a common doctrine held by the vast majority of, of Christians, um, certainly Christians who uh, think of themselves as being Orthodox, creedal Christians. Um, the Trinity isn't in Scripture, per se. I mean, there, there's nowhere in Scripture that, that lays out that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, one God and three persons. Uh, we just we have the testimony of the early apostles, the early leaders of the church, uh, who mention these different um, manifestations um, of of God in human history, and are and that kind of leave it there. So mm -hmm. the early leaders in the church who try to piece this together, and there are all kinds of debates. I mean, we see those debates in Scripture itself when Paul for instance, is admonishing the church to remain united um, and uh, to, to love one another. It's because there is a good church fight over a potluck um, and he's trying to keep the church together. And, and the church fathers are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to think through, um, was was Jesus God or was he just another prophet? Was was he a human or was he like just a divine being that was had sort of a holographic projection into human world and and the church fathers help us to um, define um, to bring clarity to that original deposit of scripture um, and it kind of help us define what we believe and they also just shed further light on the scriptural witness and that's again one of the things I love the most about the church fathers is just how saturated they are in scripture. They, they, it's clear that they thought with scripture um, and that their speech was seasoned with salt, as Paul says in Colossians. So for you, it sounds like a lot of this is part of their proximity to the events that were taking place and the way of thinking that was happening immediately following Jesus's presence on earth and the the Pentecost moment, the giving of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem that day, that, that part of it is that they're thinking about things a little bit differently uh, because they were so close to the action of it. Is that, it sounds like that's part of it, but then in addition, that scripture is also just essentially important to the way that they're processing all of this. And, and so do you find that more contemporary authors tend not to skew that way? Is that part of the appeal? 
a bit. And let me respond to that second question. Um, sure. Secondly, I mean, first of all, absolutely. It's their, their proximity to Jesus and to that sort of original deposit of faith that was given um, by Christ to his disciples, Peter, James, John, and, and the rest. Um, and it's these folks who are, are part of that early Jesus movement and are trying to think through lots of practical implications, ramifications for the church, um, like just how do we do church and how do we carry out the great commission that Jesus mentions at the end of Matthew's gospel. Um, and uh, so you think about somebody like Ignatius of Antioch. I mean, he died uh, probably around 140 AD, uh, which is pretty close. It's you know, within 100 years of Jesus's own death. Um, so it, it is that proximity that that is really interesting. It's also mm -hmm. been trying to work out some of these um, early debates in the church that that have helped to define um, certainly Nicene Christianity and the Nicene Creed that we confess. Many of those church fathers were a part of those councils in Nicene Constantinople that helped to produce that creed um, and sort of define uh, the the boundaries of of Christian confession and, and belief. Um, is also that they they're just writing with a pastoral heart you know that they they're writing as pastors to pastors and to their lay members of their congregation and we and, and, and there that's no that's a great point because everyone else today is writing to sell their book well <laughs> but yeah you you said that i didn't just the, uh, yeah absolutely no I mean, that's a really great yeah, point there's a lot of people who now today are writing for the market um to sell books or writing to the academy um the church fathers were certainly steeped in the academies of their own day. Um, Ale the Alexandrian fathers, Clement, Origen, Athanasius, for instance, were in a part of a major center of learning in Alexandria. It's one of the world's great libraries um, that was unfortunately destroyed. And so they, they were in a ma major center of learning. They were really steeped in Greek philosophy. Um, sometimes their works can get a little dense for folks because they're getting into Platonic, Neoplatonic um, Greek philosophies and stuff. Um, but but their their main audience is um, they're writing within and for the church. Um, there's a lot of again writers today are writing for the market. They're writing for the academy. They're writing for monographs for other scholars. Um, I certainly know theologians. I know you do too. That that really uh, make an effort to write both for the academy and write the book that they'll need to get tenure, but also for the church to make accessible versions of their work. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's it's that location, that proximity to Christ and some of the earlier um, leaders of the church, um, and that their their main motivation, even when they're trading in Greek philosophy, um, is uh, apologetic. That is to to try to make sense of the Christian faith, um, evangelical, um, to try to share the good news um, that that they have received. Uh, and is pastoral, um, is to try to admonish the people in the souls in their care. Yeah, I think you're converting me on all of this, too. Not that I was opposed to the Church Fathers prior, but those are just some really profound points in terms of, yeah, the the, the weird waters of contemporary writing, right. be it theological or even pastoral or yeah, all the contemporary writers out there. There's just a lot of factors influencing that work that, frankly, the Church Fathers didn't really have to deal with. Yeah. The piece that we should, we should have talked about this earlier on, I, I forgive me for this too. There's church mothers as well, right? Yeah. I mean, so part of the problem is that women, it depended on the place, their sort of class and location. Um, but generally speaking in ancient Greece, women were not uh, educated, trained to read, write, 
and therefore we're we're not uh, eligible for. Um, uh, we're not in a position to take uh, offices and positions of leadership within the early church, especially as after Constantine, when it starts to get um, a lot more formal, shall we say, mm-hmm. and have a lot more relations to, uh, for lack of a better word, state or governmental entities. Um, so, you know, that's that's a huge lacking. And that um, just like scripture itself, um, most of the voices that you're going to read in that first through eighth century um, are, are male voices. Um, and so I, I, I get uh, that that is potentially a, a limitation for folks. I mean, certainly there are church mothers. There are uh, certainly those leaders in the church that Paul mentions in his own writings, Junia and Romans, Phoebe and, and um, Corinth, the, the letters to the Corinthians, Priscilla, um, who's mentioned in Acts, and and many others, um, you know, certainly the, the Marys at Jesus's tombs, they are the first apostles, they're the first ones who are sent as witnesses to Christ's resurrection. Um, so women have been there all along and have been integral to the church's life and witness. Um, and, and there are certainly women who are important martyrs. Um, Perpetua and Felicity in the third century are an important example there. And uh, Perpetua, for, for instance, was a very highly educated woman, um, was martyred for uh, not recanting the Christian faith. So they certainly are there, but by virtue of some of the, the quirks of history and society at the time, uh, we, we unfortunately don't have writings that have been preserved in pros- posterity. Um, so, you know, again, I get that this is a, let's say a perspectival limitation. Um, if we're just talking about the church fathers or what the fathers, um, mm-hmm. um, I'd like to think that the, the writings of the church fathers like scripture are actually inspired by the Holy spirit. Um, so I don't admire so much Augustine, the person or Augustine, the African or Augustine, the man, the male. I admire the extent to which Augustine reflects the light of Christ in his generation um, and hundreds of years later in our own. Um, And that's something I think all of us can aspire to. And it is part of just in general, even our our collective churches that we've served at uh, have a history to it. And there is something powerful about recognizing and affirming, you know, even here, our church has been around. My church, Bethany, has been around for 100 years or so. And to appreciate and affirm what happened 100 years ago, but to recognize and, and then, then to, to recast it for the future as well. To think about like, okay, so because of our identity and who God called this church to be in 1908, uh, what does it mean now in 2021 to, to continue to live that out? And I hear a little bit of that in terms of how you're talking about the church fathers is recognizing their writings as Holy Spirit inspired uh, and and to take some of the wisdom from that that was written down in the year 200 AD, uh, or do we say CE now, 200 Common Era, and yeah. then recast that for 2021. It, do you find yourself as a priest kind of doing a lot of that work? Can you, I mean, do you have any examples for us of that kind of process taking place where you're mining the gold of the church fathers, but then recasting it for ministry in 2021? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, there's a great quote from G.K. Chesterton that I'll slaughter, but he said something to the effect of, it's not that Christian ideals have failed, it's that we have always failed to live up to Christian ideals. Um, And the gospel that the good news that Jesus had to proclaim is so much 
more radical than what we often lay hold of. Um, and I will say that for me personally, um, I am not the best uh, example of the follower of Christ. I mean, certainly not what I, I'd want to be. I, know, I mean, yeah, I've had lunch with you. I, I know. <laughs> so I need to aspire. Um, but yeah, it's taken some of that, some of those ideals, some of that original inspiration, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, given hundreds of years ago and trying to uh, make application to our our day and age. Um, one example that, that comes to mind that's kind of funny is just my, my wife. I remember when she was working through uh, some of the, the canons of the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople, as you do in seminary, um, you know, they, there are canons in there that uh, relate to um, uh, women's time of month. <laughs> and she was like, I can't believe that this is actually enshrined in, in church law and <laughs> participation in, in church life, which, which was an, an attempt to try to think through some of the Levitical code and, and whether to what extent that applies to the church today. Um, so, you know, we, we, we were just kind of smiling and laughing about that, um, you know, decades ago in seminary. Um, I think more often the way that this manifests for me is in my own sermon preparation and preaching. Um, it's not certainly not every sermon where I try to drop an anecdote from the fathers, but they certainly are a guide to me in um, understanding and applying scripture to our contemporary context. And so... Um, often when I preach, um, there'll be a little quote from a church father uh, from a sermon that they preached on the same text hundreds of years ago um, that helps me unpack some of its meaning and, uh, and draw an application for the church and us as followers of Jesus today. That makes a lot of sense, too, because like you said, they, the church fathers tend to be very biblically grounded. Yeah. So I would imagine that there's just a lot of scriptural interpretation going on in those writings that you can then, it helps you, yeah, to, to see their angle for thinking about a particular text and then bringing that into how you read it and create proclamation for the congregation based on that. That's really, that's fascinating. Well, and so is, would you say that the church fathers are accessible? I mean, if, you know, our, our dear listener, listeners, if they wanted to pick one of them up, I mean, is it like reading King James English? Um, <laughs> is it, or is it a little more accessible than that? Or is it it's probably dependent upon who we're talking about? Yeah, I think it is. It's dependent on the work and what they were trying to accomplish with that. Um, one of the, the more accessible texts, I think, are there the sermons. Uh, almost all the church fathers, we have um, some collections of sermons that they preached and, and they're just taking a, a biblical text. Um, now, Granted, uh, I've, I've done the word count on some of these sermons before and thought these were probably like two, two hours, some of them. Um, and they're, even then, they're pretty dense text. Um, so, uh, you know, accessibility will be relative to the reader, I think. Um, but but th that is a place where um, a good place to start. Um, the sermons of Chrysostom or Augustine. Um, on, on the Gospel of John. Um, I mean, they're, they're just gold mines. Um, but then there are also other places, like I mentioned Ignatius of Antioch, one of my favorite um, early bishops of the church and martyr um, who wrote epistles, letters, just like the letters that we read um, in the New Testament that Paul wrote to members of, of um, different churches throughout uh, the Greco-Roman world. Um, Ignatius too, and like Paul, sort of heading to his uh, martyrdom, uh, Ignatius is writing letters to the church, and those letters 
written um, in the first, second century are, again, illustrative instructive for the church today. So um, a good another good place to start is um, actually my advisor at Oxford, Alistair McGrath, wrote uh, a little primer called um, Christian Theology and the Christian Theology Reader. Mm. That Christian Theology Reader is sort of an accompanying volume. And it just gives little snippets from various church fathers on basic Christian doctrines, that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Um, well, where do we get that from? Um, you know, or the doctrine of the Trinity, um, that God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, he gives you little snippets and some of the, the best um, texts from those early church fathers, and that's a, a great book to pick up. I mean, it's a thousand pages, so it's also a good book to um, have on your bookshelf to, to look really smart or to use to press wildflowers that you pick up. <laughs> what, uh, what book are you reading right now? Uh, right now, I'm I'm just in fiction. So David Foster Wallace. Oh, okay, okay. Not one of the church fathers, but yeah, a no, good I, read all the same. I, I have been working through the works of Bonaventure, um, who's Franciscan, uh, the the Minister General of the Franciscan Order, who's a scholastic, not a church father. But um, uh, yeah, but I needed to take a little summer break and do some David Foster Wallace. Good for you. I, uh, my first congregation was not too far from St. Bonaventure University. Go hey. Barnes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, well, I forgot to say, um, good night, moon. <laughs> it's really, I don't know if you've read that, Nate. A literary classic. Yeah. I have read good night, moon. Uh, have you, have you read the napping house? That's also, also a favorite. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Just the clear, uh, literary themes and, paramount in all ways but the fact that she breaks the bed i was like bob she was startled <laughs> she was startled and i don't know why they're all so happy at the end if the bread <laughs> is broken because they cannot have there's no napping house part two no there is the not. bed's broken <laughs> that'll preach <laughs> hey joseph this has been amazing you're thank you for sharing your wisdom with us and all it do you have anything that you want to add like as our in, in closing to all this tie a nice bow on it Sure, just one, one quick suggestion. There's there's an app for that. Um, one of my favorite apps is called Katina, C-A-T-E-N-A. -E um, and it's it's a clever name. It's Latin for chain. Uh, so the, the chain of belief from the early church to the present. And uh, what it, basically what it does is it gives you commentary on Bible verses that the fathers have uh, written. So you- Oh, wow. John 7, 4, and you can see some sermon that one of the church fathers preached hundreds of years ago on the text or a little, little snippet. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not always um, uh, re revelatory, but it's certainly worth a look. And that's that's another good place for people to start. And Absolutely. Just say read them. They're, you can find most of these books for free as downloadable PDFs that you could print out or put on any of your mobile devices on Google Books, or there's a great resource called the Christian Classics Ethereal Library, CCEL. Um, and there are other resources. Uh, you can certainly find almost all of the classic texts um, in reprint. Your, your pastor most likely has a collection of the anti-Nicene, Nicene, post-Nicene fathers on their library shelf that they are definitely not reading. So you can ask <laughs> them um, you know, for any number one of those volumes or check it out in your church library. Just, just check them out. And uh, I hope that your listeners will find a treasure trove of wisdom as I do. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing Yeah, your passion with us on this particular topic. It's 
clearly very valuable, just other ways, other voices to bring in to our study of scripture, our life of faith. And like you said, and reiterated that these come from a very pure time, so to speak, in the life of the church, when the sole intention was to be grounded in scripture and to be that living out the faith that Jesus uh, inspired within those early Christians. Uh, I really appreciate this. This has given me a lot of things to think about too. And so hopefully as well, you dear listener uh, have new things to think about new apps to explore new books uh, to check out from your local library. Joseph, thanks for being here. Listeners, thanks for being a part of this. Stay in peace, everyone.